Okay, at this time we have the privilege of hearing from Mr. Ken Barton. He'll be our first speaker today. And his message is entitled, Let's Explore Doubt. And I guess this thing's working. This thing working? And no, I'm not going to really explore deeply into all the finer points of doubt. And I don't have an interesting, humorous thing. The closest I have is when he, you, uh, when you let all the kids go and Art got up and started leaving. I thought, wait a minute, Art. <laughs> I thought you were maybe going to go to class. Anyway. Our brother George has been fighting a serious medical battle, and I'm certain that he is still with us because of our Heavenly Father. God has brought and is still bringing George through a lot of difficulties, and I'm certain that a lot of it is because of prayer and faith to him that he's still here. There have been a lot of people praying for his healing, for his surviving, and for God our Father to hold George in his hands. And he has. But you know what? There are those who doubted that he was going to make it. And that includes some of the doctors. They have a guy at St. Francis that's called a hospitalist. And put me in mind of the shootist, John Wayne. And, oh, now this is interesting. What is a hospitalist? A hospitalist is the fellow that they put in charge of your case when you're there and you have some serious problems like he does. And he's the one that picks, calls, asks doctors to come in on, and with their expertise and help. And this guy's name is Lawrence Lee. And he's a Christian and he's a strong Christian. He's the first time we ever had somebody. When Lawrence was up there to anoint George and said, we're gonna pray and while Dr. Lee was there talking to us, and so he led the prayer. <laughs> okay, you know, and I know Lawrence was, was telling him what he was getting ready to do. He didn't have a chance. <clears throat> but there were doctors that did not think he was going to make it. There were doctors that were starting to jump ship. They said, we've done all we can do. I thank God there were those of us who were praying in faith and still are and are believing and relying on God without doubting. There's been a lot of things on my mind uh, lately, part of this, bringing it to bear, and two of the things that I want to discuss with you are about doubt and about belief, which would be the opposite. A definition of doubt, it's a transitive verb according to dictionaries, and it means like to suspect something. Uh, call into question the truth of, to be uncertain or in doubt about. He doubts everyone's word. You know, to distrust. I find myself doubting him even when I know that he is honest. Or to consider it unlikely. I doubt if I can go, for instance. Have you ever had a conversation with someone about something you knew about? And when you were through talking with them, explaining something, and they said, I doubt it kind of aggravating, you know? <clears throat> but that's one of the things that I've had to work on 
uh, is the tendency to doubt. It's something that I see in most people, unfortunately, especially in trusting in God. People seem to have a hard time doing that, in trusting God, not doubting God, unfortunately. Just think about how that makes God feel. I'm going to play a little what if here, and I don't want to demean Adam or Eve, okay? They were the first ones. When I was a rookie in uh, Fire Academy, I was one of the Myself and another guy, we were always the first two because we were the first of the alphabet. So whenever we learned something new, we were the first two to get to do it, which is good because if I mess up, I never did it before. So, you know, it's the rest of them that keep messing up. That, anyway, no. Uh, <clears throat> the worst part about doubt, okay, is that it started right at the beginning with Adam and Eve. But it didn't just spring up by itself, of course. Oh, no. Satan was both the one introducing it and bringing it to fruition. In Genesis, if you will turn to chapter 3, and we'll start in verse 1, or you can read it up here. Brian's excellent about keeping me going. He even helped me know that I was going to go with verses 4 and 5 later instead of chapters 4 and 5. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, As God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Here's what God told him, though. If you look in chapter 2, verse 16, he said, And the Lord commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in that day that you eat of it you shall surely die. Seems like he'd got her attention, though, doesn't it? I don't know if God or Adam had warned her, because only Adam was there at the time. But it seems that the warning she'd added about even touching it would have surely made her leave it alone, right? But we'll continue. Pay attention to how Satan works. Then the serpent said, back to verse 4 of chapter 3, You will not surely die. What had Satan done there? He had blatantly lied. Okay? And he had directly challenged what God had said basically called God a liar. <clears throat> How many of us, when we read this or hear about it, think, there's no way I'd let Satan get away with that? Then Satan doubled down, added a little, little truth. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And you know what Eve said? Sounds logical. That sounds logical. No, she really didn't say that. That was catnip. <clears throat> but I want to add, and I, I don't want to add to things that they didn't say, but I want to uh, explore this just a little. But I think it fits, because what she did has affected everyone, including herself, 
from then on. How many of us read that and said, that's not how I'd have done it? That's, among firefighters, that's considered the firefighter's motto. You see something, somebody mess up, well, that's not how I'd have done it. <clears throat> it's easy to talk tough when we're not the ones doing it. We're not there, right? But he'd only given them a little of the truth, hadn't he? He didn't tell them the impact that knowing good and evil would have on their lives. And he actually didn't tell them that he was actually lying. And that, yes, they would die. She heard his words, and she listened to him rather than listening to God's word. And that listening to Satan rather than God resulted in her doubting God and God's word. Now let's go back again to chapter 3 and we'll go to verse 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave it to her husband with her, and he ate. One thing I noticed in that verse is her husband with her. I know a lot of people said Adam was probably still laying over there under the tree watching, but he was with her. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves covering. They were the first uh, PETA folks <laughs> trying to make polyester clothing. But had the tree and its fruit changed any? Not a bit. But Eve's outlook had changed. She now doubted God and believed Satan. God had told her that the fruit of that tree would devastate them if they ate it. She now saw it as pleasant to the eyes and something that would make one wise. Speaking to the actions Adam didn't take, the end of verse 6 says, she also gave to the husband that was with her. Could have spoken. We'll get to that. They, they got what they were looking for, didn't they? And even more. They were wise beyond their wildest imagination. Their eyes were opened and they knew about good, they knew about evil, and a bonus, something Satan hadn't even told them they'd get, they realized they were naked. They hadn't just become naked, had they? They'd always been that way, but they realized it. I don't know when the realization hit them that what God had warned them about was also true. They were going to die. Could have been right after they realized they were naked. Could have been when God killed the animals whose skins he used to give them clothes. That sort of puts a thud in your heart, doesn't it? Wouldn't it have been wonderful if they'd have just doubted Satan instead of God. See, doubting isn't necessarily a bad thing, especially if it leads us to believing what is right and true and rejecting what is false, even if it requires studying something and confirming what's true and correct before acting. Consider for a moment, and I'm going to play a little, if Eve had told Adam, hold on there. I want to check this out with Adam. And then she talked it over with him. In that attitude. Hey, Adam, did you hear this? This here snake, he's telling me something that's different from what God said. Sure enough. Yep. He says we can eat that fruit over there and it won't hurt us a bit. 
says it'll make us like God. Huh. Looking at the snake. Tell you what, Satan. We want to talk this over with God. How about you come over tomorrow? Nah, how about you come over next week? And we'll talk this out some more. And see what's, going, what's happened. And then, if they'd actually done that and talked it over with God, it'd be a whole different ballgame nowadays, wouldn't it? They'd still have learned something. They would still have been wiser than they were. But it wouldn't have devastated everything that we know. Of course, we know they didn't. But thankfully, as we know or should know, our loving Father had already set in order mankind's redemption, already had it ready to go through his Son, our Savior, Jesus. But there are so many people that doubt that, even that. There are many people who doubt that God exists. They doubt that Jesus really existed. They doubt that Jesus is the only begotten Son of God, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Now, that belief, remember me saying that's the opposite of doubt? So that, if they'll pay attention, that makes it important because when they don't believe that, that sort of kicks them out of that last part. On May 20th, we celebrated the Feast of Weeks, also known as Pentecost. Y'all remember that, right? where the power of the Holy Spirit was given to the believers. That's what Christians are called believers. And if we'll read Acts, we'll see many examples of the power of the Holy Spirit demonstrated. That's the Holy Spirit of God. Believe, according to Merriam-Webster, is a verb that means to accept something as true, feel sure of the truth of, to hold something as an opinion to think or suppose. Essential to believing is faith, which is a noun. It's complete trust or confidence in something or someone. It's a strong belief in God or in the doctrines of a religion based on spiritual apprehension or grasp rather than proof. Jesus demonstrated the kind of faith that we need to have in Matthew 21. We'll start at verse 18. Now in the morning... As he returned to the city, he was hungry. And seeing a fig tree by the road, he came to it and found nothing on it but leaves and said to it, Let no fruit grow on you ever again. Immediately the fig tree withered away. And when the disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, How did that fig tree wither away so soon? So Jesus answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, if you have faith, and do not doubt, you will not only do what was done to the fig tree, but also if you say to this mountain, be removed and cast into the sea, it will be done. And whatever things you ask in prayer believing, you will receive. I haven't seen too many mountains go flinging off in, <laughs> into the sea yet, but, you know, because I haven't seen it doesn't mean it didn't happen. I did read a story about a church it was in Kentucky, I believe, and their, their church was located on a small corner of the land that they owned, but the rest of the land was a big hill. And so 
you know, they, they needed to expand. And they said, somebody pointed out, God said we can get it taken care of. So they prayed about it. And the week wasn't out. I think it was the next day. A gentleman with a construction company showed up and said, we've got a project and we need a lot of dirt. And we have determined that your mountain back here is about the right amount of dirt we're going to need. Could we buy that dirt from you? It wasn't long. That dirt was all gone. That lot was level. And it was done right. So Jesus answered, let's go uh, and mark and see how this, we'll look at it. Mark 11, chapter 22, Jesus answered and said, Have faith in God. This is still the basic same story. For assuredly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, Be removed and cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Therefore I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. And whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him, that your Father in heaven may also forgive you your trespasses. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. Sound like Jesus was doubting what he was saying? Probably be a good idea if we don't doubt what he's saying. Jesus tells us our faith in God must be be rock solid. James chapter 1, starting in verse 2, he says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Getting built up is kind of hard work sometimes. It's not going to be easy all the time. We've got to go through some trials. <clears throat> but let patience have its perfect work that you, I already read it. if any of you lacks wisdom let him ask of God who gives, it to, uh, gives to all liberally and without reproach and it will be given to him I try not to pray for patience because you know how he, you get patient you get to exercise patience by things bugging you Ask Glenda sometimes. Things bug me. <clears throat> anyway, but let him ask in faith with no doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let no man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. So let me ask you a question. How many of us believe that our nation's doing great? doing better than it was, but it's not doing great, is it? <clears throat> According to lifenews.com, as of January 18, 2018, 60,069,971 babies have been, had been killed after Roe versus Wade had been approved on January 22nd, 
1973. Our nation is horrid in sinful lust. We, we joke sometimes about just the ads that are on television that if Glenda's parents or my parents or her grand, uh, our grandparents, they would die because they haven't been slowly inured to it if they saw the garbage that's on in the, in the commercials, in the shows. I could keep going. There's a huge list of things that we've got wrong. <clears throat> God has warned us, warned the whole world, all throughout. But the horrible things, the horrible repercussions that will come upon a nation if they don't follow his words, if they don't follow what God's will is, he also tells us, if you pick the good, if you decide to serve me, everything's going to be great. You're not going to have to worry about holes in your pocket, in other words, inflation or whatever, not ha ever having enough money working for all your worth. If you will serve him, everything will go well. If we don't, it won't. a book called The Daniel Prayer. <clears throat> it's written by Billy Graham's daughter, Anne Graham Lodge. And it's about Daniel. Duh. And what he did, how he prayed to God. She covers pretty much all of Daniel and all of his experience, but the one she's talking about is when he realizes that God had said in 70 years, if in 70 years that I'll take you back out. But he didn't just really say that. A lot of people would say, yeah, in 70 years. He said in 70 years, if you'll come to me and pray and repent, you know how many people did that? You know how many people got on that bandwagon? Oh, yeah, three, man, we got three years. Get all prayed up and get out of here. It is called Daniel. That's it. Look at the difference that made. One man believed what God said. Glenda got this book and shared it with me. She's my precious gift. You should read this book. It will teach you how to focus on God. How to believe what God said. That's the first thing you got to do. You have to focus on what God said. Because otherwise, what are you praying? Are you praying because I think it would be good if this would happen? God gives us his word. You know, what, what is the uh, Bible? Basic instruction before leaving earth. 
We need that, folks. God gives us his promises, but if you're going to hold somebody to their promises, you've got to know what they were. And God loves it when we know his word. So if we will go to him and we will quote him to him, you know, I've seen authors talking about their books. If someone asks them about a specific passage in their book, they'll smile virtually every time. You know why? Because that meant somebody paid enough attention to actually read it and learn what they said in that spot. Just think how it makes God feel when we can remember what he's telling us. <clears throat> really spoke to my heart when she... <clears throat> relates how one promise for our nation that has been prayed frequently comes from 2 Chronicles 7, 13 through 15. I've mentioned that, and I don't know how many others, I and I don't know how many others pray every night for our nation's revival. And my prayer is based on Chronicles 7, 14. <clears throat> and In order to claim God's promises again, we have to use God's promises. She points out how Daniel went to God and focused on him, praying personally, repenting for the horrible sinfulness of, of Jerusalem. Daniel didn't do all these horrible sins. Daniel pretty much was a righteous man, if you believe anything about the Bible. But he prayed for forgiveness and repented of all the sins that were done. She invites in this book readers to go through and, and, and let's pray together, she said, and I'm going to read that. Lord of mercy, God of grace, hear us as we pray. You have promised that when environmental disasters erupt, you know, things like earthquakes, droughts, fires, that follow the droughts, then mudslides that follow the rain, that follow the fire, that follow the drought. <clears throat> or the enemy strikes, or illnesses break out, that if we, your people, who are called by your name, the church, Christ followers, if we would set aside our pride and self-righteousness and judgmental finger-pointing and take the time and make the time to get alone with you, Father God, and pray, seeking not just a political solution, but your face, turning from our own grievous sin, then heaven would be moved. Sin would be forgiven. Hearts would be changed. And you would bless our land. So now we humbly confess to you, and she lists three sins. She, just, she doesn't list the sins. She just puts a big blank there. Let's us fill in the ones that we're seeing, the ones that we feel we need to confess. So I'm going to let you guys figure out which ones you want to confess when you pray this sin, or pray this prayer. <clears throat> we humbly confess to you our sin of lust, our sin of greed, our sin of pride, 
we name it for what it is in your sight and choose to put it out of our lives, out of our minds, out of our hearts, to turn away from it. We ask you to cleanse us with the blood of your Son and our Savior. Hear our prayer. Forgive our sin. Now we ask, please, open your eyes to our beloved nation. Answer us according to your word for the glory of your name. Amen. How many of us are ready for a revival in this nation? How about in this state? How about in this city? How about in this church? How many are tired of having to pay higher prices for all the goods that we get because a lot of it's just walking out the door? The Walmart by our house loses over $4,000 a day from people just walking out with it without paying it. And what they don't steal, they'll tear up. And we get to pay higher prices for that in insurance premiums, for the goods themselves, because they've got to make it up. Of course, we do get neat new technology. We've got new doorbells with cameras in it. We've got cameras. We're going to put a cam camera system, I think. All the technology, I heard someone talking about all the technology of locks and security and stuff is driven, driven by the criminals. Back when, way back in the day, there wasn't a lock on the door. There was just a, a hook. And then people started stealing stuff. So they put some kind of basic thing from the inside. And they figured out how to defeat that. So they got a little better. They went skeleton key, right? And then that wasn't good, so they put more notches and whatever in the key. <laughs> Wonderful cottage industry, but it's, it's paying. We're paying for it because of it. Just crime. Our police departments are huge. Our courthouses we have to get bigger ones, we have to get more judges, we have to get more prisons, we have to get more guards. And we've got to pay for that. Wouldn't it be neat? You know, I actually read an article that said during Prohibition, and that, that worked real well, right? It stopped, stopped crime completely. No. no. And we're, we're doing the same job equally well with the war on drugs. Not working real well. <laughs> But during Prohibition, there were actually small towns that police stations, police departments went out of business because there wasn't any work for them. <clears throat> so how many are ready for some good instead of some more evil? Because our Father has told us what to do. And I'm going to read this again. When I shut up heaven and there is no rain, this is Second Chronicles chapter 7 starting in 13. There is no rain, or I command the locusts to devour the land or send pestilence among my people, say cancer. If my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin and heal their land. God tells us that when the consequences of sinfulness come upon us, there is a way to get right with him. But you have to believe him. There's, there are actually those who don't. 
know, I, I'm a guy I've told you about. When right after California approved same-sex marriage was when those fires started. And I saw this guy, and he said, man, have you seen the fires in California? I think somebody's setting those things. It's all over the state. And I said, yeah, God. And he said something that almost floored me. The God I worship doesn't kill people. And if that had been really on the ball, I said, you need to read the book again. But anyway, our nation is being punished. I have no doubt about that. There are people who will look straight at what is happening, though, and doubt it. Our only chance is to believe in God and act on what he tells us must be done. Daniel prayed God's words to him. And you see what a difference that made? Do you want to make a difference? In order to do that, we'll have to believe and do what God has told us. If we will do that, God will answer. I have no doubt.